Richard Trenton Chase once said that an unlocked door was like an invitation for him to come inside, which is exactly the kind of chilling thing you might expect to hear from a madman known as the Vampire of Sacramento. Richard Chase was a cannibal, serial killer rapist who terrorized Sacramento, California in the 1970s. But his mother didn't think anything was wrong with him. And those two sentences should start to give you an idea of who he was. Before he was caught, he took the lives of six people in one month. One of them was a two-year-old little boy. Another was a woman who was three months pregnant. When police caught up to him, they found something incredibly chilling. Hanging on his wall in his apartment was a calendar. The dates of each murder were marked with the word today. He'd marked 44 other dates with the same word. His first human kill was Ambrose Griffin. He was a 51-year-old engineer with a wife and two young sons. On December 29, 1977, he and his wife had just gotten home from the supermarket and were unpacking the car out in front of their house. His wife was leaning into the back for a bag of groceries when she heard two popping sounds. The last words her husband said to her were, My God, I've been shot. Then he dropped to the ground clutching his chest. His second crime scene was more grotesque. On January 23, 1978, a month after shooting Ambrose, Richard picked a neighborhood a couple of miles from his apartment and walked up and down checking doors. One woman actually saw him checking the locks on her windows and door. But when he saw her seeing him, he just walked away nonchalantly. The next house down the block was open, but empty. He ransacked the house, urinated in their baby's dresser, and defecated in its crib. When the owners came home, he ran out the back and jumped the fence. They were lucky. The next person who found him in her living room would not be spared. Around one o'clock that afternoon, he opened the front door of Teresa and David Wallen's house. They were a young couple in their early 20s, married only two and a half years and expecting their first baby. Teresa was three months pregnant. It was a Monday and David was at work. He drove a laundry truck. Teresa had the day off, so she walked to a nearby store to cash a check. An hour later, she was back home, about to take out the garbage when Richard walked in. He shot her twice where she stood in her living room. When she fell to the floor, he stood over her and shot her one last time. What he did to her body is so disturbing, even the police officers who responded to the scene had nightmares for months afterwards. Four days later, Richard went hunting again for an unlocked door and found Evelyn Murath's store open. She was a 36-year-old single mom of three who was well-known as the go-to babysitter for the kids in the neighborhood. She lived less than a mile away from the Wallen house. It was the middle of the afternoon when Richard walked in, a time when most people in the otherwise safe neighborhood thought it would be fine to leave their doors unlocked. Unfortunately, they were wrong. When Richard opened the door, he surprised Evelyn's friend, Dan Meredith, in the hallway. He shot him once in the head. Then he shot Evelyn, her six-year-old son Jason, and her 22-month-old nephew Michael. She was babysitting him that day. 
But Richard didn't stop there. After killing her, he brutally violated her body. Police were horrified at the level of escalating violence, so they turned to FBI agent Robert Ressler for help. If you ever saw Mindhunter on Netflix, Robert Ressler is the real-life inspiration for the Bill Tench character. He's also the one who came up with the term serial killer. And the profile he came up with in this case turned out to be shockingly accurate. This is an excerpt from his notes published in his book, Whoever Fights Monsters. White male, aged 25-27 years, thin, unnourished appearance, residence will be extremely slovenly and unkept, and evidence of the crime will be found there. History of mental illness, and will have been involved in use of drugs will be a loner who does not associate with either males or females and will probably spend a great deal of time in his own home where he lives alone in a location within one half to one mile from the abandoned station wagon. Unemployed, possibly receives some form of disability money. If residing with anyone, it would be with his parents. However, this is unlikely, probably suffering from one or more forms of paranoid psychosis. The police ran with it and canvassed the area where the car was found. And it worked. A girl in the neighborhood described seeing a very thin man in his 20s looking disheveled, wandering around the neighborhood. In other words, a suspect who fit the profile to a T. Someone else thought the description sounded familiar too. A girl Richard had gone to high school with had run into him at a shopping center near the Wallens' house on the same day of the attack on Teresa. She reported being shocked at the way he looked. In high school in 1968, he was clean cut and put together. By January 1978, he was practically gaunt with long hair, bad skin, and sunken eyes. And he was wearing a blood-stained sweatshirt. He followed her to her car and tried to open her door, but she locked it and sped away before the situation could get any worse. But when she heard what had happened and who the police were looking for, she told them about her old classmate, Richard Trenton Chase. How does something like this happen? Who was Richard before he morphed into the vampire of Sacramento? By the time he was 10, he was starting fires and killing animals. By 18, his parents were divorced, and he'd already been committed once. Neither his mother nor his father wanted him to stay with them, but instead of getting him help, they paid for him to live with roommates in an apartment not far away. The situation didn't last long. Among his other disturbing habits, he was always high or drunk and liked walking around the house naked, even when people were visiting. His roommates tried asking him to leave, and when he refused... They moved out instead. When he was left alone, he fell further away from reality. He was desperately afraid that pieces of him were being stolen. He once went to a hospital and demanded that his stolen pulmonary artery be returned. He shaved his head so he could see the bones moving in his scalp. He was convinced his heart was stopping and his blood was turning to powder. He believed that only fresh blood from living creatures could save him. He dismembered blended, and drank rabbits and other small animals as smoothies. When he was 26, he used a syringe to inject the blood of a rabbit into his veins. He was hospitalized for blood poisoning and sent to a psych ward. The staff and patients were terrified of him and called him Dracula, probably because he had a habit of sucking the blood from birds he managed to catch outside his window. 
He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, given medication, and sent home in the care of his mother. His parents had been divorced since he was a kid, but his mother refused to believe he was sick, and she actually weaned him off his medication and rented another apartment for him to live in alone. In the two years before his killing spree, he killed the neighborhood cats and dogs and blended their blood and organs for what he called his medicine. Police would later find leashes and collars and three bloody blenders in his apartment. This story is so disturbing in so many ways, but I can't stress enough that had he been cared for properly and not been taken off his medication, he may never have had the opportunity to spiral so far into evil. We need to point out, of course, that a schizophrenia diagnosis or any other mental health issue does not automatically make someone dangerous. But clearly, Richard, like all killers, had some crucial piece of his soul missing. Two days after the murders at the Mirath house, Richard walked out of his door carrying a box of bloody rags, and he had Dan Meredith's wallet in his pocket when he was arrested. When police searched his place, they found a grotesque scene. If you remember, the FBI profile speculated that police would find evidence of the crimes where the killer lived. That turned out to be an understatement. Not only did he have a calendar with all the dates of the murder, plus 44 more, marked with the word today, but the place was covered in blood. His silverware was stained with it. His blenders were full of it. His fridge had human brains and other organs inside. Even Jeffrey Dahmer would have been horrified. They also found blood-stained rubber boots and gloves, which he wore at the crime scenes. The boots matched the footprints. It could not have been more clear that this was their guy. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.